It's difficult at times to let old paradigms go. The way that you see the world, the way that you understand the world, the way things work. Um, for centuries and centuries, it was very much understood that the world was flat. Until people started, in theory, to say, wait, 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 I don't know necessarily that the world is flat. I, I think it's round. I don't think if you get in a boat and you sail that eventually you're just going to fall off the ledge. But to live out the truth of that paradigm, this new paradigm, someone actually had to trust that this hypothesis, this theory, was actually true. And they actually had to get into a boat and sail with the intent of we're going to go as far as we can and we're either going to fall off this thing or we're going to end up somewhere else, hopefully back here. And it was so difficult to set that paradigm aside. I wonder for these Galatian Christians, and especially the Jewish Christians who had been on mission and sharing this news of Jesus, how difficult it was for them to drop some of these old paradigms. Because for them, the Torah, the, this Jewish law, was so ingrained in their life from a very, very early age. And now Paul is coming along and saying, hey, I know that you felt that baptism was, was important, that following Christ is important, but you can't just forget about the law. And Paul's message to them has been, no, 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 wait. For those of you that have been baptized, who believe in Christ, who've been baptized into Him, have begin, begun life in this new paradigm, in this new world. And it's this new world that just moments before didn't exist. And it didn't exist because it was separated from Christ. But now that you're in Christ, the world is different. And these paradigms that you're holding on to and finding hope and faith in don't carry the weight that you assume they do. And so we're going to kind of skip a big chunk of chapter 4 and I want to kind of give you a real quick Cliff Notes version of it. I would like to finish this series before Thanksgiving. That's my goal. So we're going to skip this little. But what Paul does here in this part of the letter is he transitions. And he starts really talking about the Galatian Christians and his care and concern for them. And he says to them, I came here with this message for you. And I came here because at the time I was sick. And you welcomed me in and you received me and you received this message about Christ. But for some reason now, because you have heard this new message that's been muddled, that these agitators are saying, wait, wait, you can't just drop circumcision. You can't just drop the law and be a first class citizen in the kingdom. Right? That's why Paul was telling us last week, there are no second-class citizens in the kingdom. You are all one in Christ. You all are equal at the foot of the cross. Why now? If you accepted me and my message then, why are you now treating me as though I'm an enemy? Why are you not welcoming me? And to close out that little section, he says this in verse 18. I'm sorry, verse 19. Um, my dear children, for whom I 
am again in the pains of childbirth. Right, that's how we know that Paul was not married. He didn't have a wife. He didn't have children. Because none of us can tell our wives, you don't understand my work and how difficult it is. It's almost like I was giving birth to children. Because you can't say that and still live. Right? There, there's nothing we can compare it to, guys. Okay? But he's in pains of childbirth, and here's the truth of it. Paul sees them as his children. And the pain of childbirth, it doesn't stop once the kids are born. It changes. The anguish changes. And it might not be this physical pain, but now there's the emotional and the mental and the spiritual anguish that goes with having children in this world. And that's what Paul is really referring to. I have this anguish because I'm watching you labor and fight and work to find favor in Christ. And you don't have to. You are free in Christ. You are welcomed in here. But he's in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in them. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. And you can I, well, why couldn't you just go there if you've been there before? And, and I think the reason, right? we said earlier in this series, I think this has an earlier dating and I think it lines up with the Jerusalem Council. And I kind of think this is about the time that Paul is going to Jerusalem over the same issue of circumcision and the law. And so he's writing this letter, but he's going to Jerusalem because this is a bigger issue than this message that's spreading throughout um, the, the kingdom, right? That he wishes, so tell me, yeah, go on, tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? So if, if you want to be under the law, if you want to believe that circumcision is necessary, if you want to believe that following the law is necessary, are you aware of what the law says? And what he's referring to is not just simply all 613 commandments that are listed in the Torah. What he's referring to is the weight that the law carries. It's not just do you know the laws it's do you know what's involved in the laws? And so you go back to Exodus. And in Exodus, God is fixing to give the law to the people. And right before he meets with Moses on Mount Sinai, he says, Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then, right, if you do this, then... This is the law. Then out of all the nations will you be my treasured possessions. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. This is what he says. I want you to go down the mountain and I want you to tell. If you do 
this. If you obey me fully, then out of all the nations, then you will be my treasured possession. So Moses runs down the mountain and he meets with the people. And he says, here's what God said. If we will obey him, if we will keep the terms of the covenant on our behalf, then we are going to be his special people. And the people respond. We will do everything the Lord has said. You, you remember Ezra and Nehemiah? We're going to do it this time. And this is kind of where the mentality, I think, starts. This is what you want? That, that's all you want us to do? We're in. We will do everything it says. And, and that's the covenant here of the law. Right? Here are the laws. You do everything. Right? I showed you my scorecard last week or two weeks ago. I don't know how yours looks, but my assumption is yours probably looks a lot like mine did. Right? We can play the game. We can say we're, we're all good. Everything's fine. But the reality of it is we're not. Because we'll say, yeah, God, we're, Jesus, we're with you. We're going to do everything you say. But in reality, we can't. In reality, we fall short. And so this law is important. This law was given to Moses. But before this law was given, where God says, if you will do everything I've commanded, then you will be my people. Before the law was given, 430 years before, there was a promise that was made to Abraham. If you will leave everything you know, and you will come and follow me, then I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless all the people on the earth through you. And that promise, just because this law came, just because a new contract came, doesn't negate the promise. God didn't get here and just say, well, you know what? I changed my mind. We're going to do things differently now. This is no good. Now we're going to go. Th you have to follow. You have to obey. The promise still stands. The promise still matters. The promise doesn't go away just because the law has come. All right, that's what Paul's been telling the Galatians throughout this letter. This promise is important. And it takes this weird turn, right? We've already taken one kind of weird turn. Turn Early in chapter 2, as Paul is talking about the foolishness of these Galatians to believe um, this lie, and then he starts talking about Abraham. And now he's talking about his care and concern for these people. And now he starts to talk about a slave woman and a free woman. So he says this in verse 22. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. 
And so there's this life of Abraham that comes back into the picture with two ladies and two sons. A slave woman and a free woman. And to understand what Paul is talking about, just in case you haven't really grown up with this story and don't really know the story of Abraham, Abraham was called when he was age 75. Think about that. 75 years old. And God tells him, hey, I want you to leave everything that you know behind. And you're going to go to a place that I'm going to show you. I'm not going to tell you where you're going. You're just going to follow me. You're going to obey me. You're going to be with me and trust me. You're going to go follow me. And I'm going to bless the world through you. We're going to start a new nation of people. And the purpose of this new nation is it going to be a blessing to this world. And it was so needed at the time when it seemed like the world was raveling further and further out of control. Where you have the flood and you have people chasing their own desires. You have so much violence. You have so much wickedness. Then there's the Tower of Babel. And it seems like everything is falling apart. And God's plan is unraveling. And God says in the midst of this, we're going to start a new movement of people. We're going to start a new people. And they're going to go bless this world. And so Abraham goes. And Abraham follows God. And 5, 10, 15, somewhere in there, I think Abraham's probably around 85. And he looks up and he says, wait, God, I don't have any kids. And you promised that you were going to give me children. And I don't see kids. He calls him out of his tent. He says, I want you to look up at the stars in the sky. Your offspring is going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And he makes a covenant with Abraham. But remember, this is a one-sided covenant where God promises he's going to bless him. I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to give you children, and I'm going to use you to make a difference in this world that's falling apart. And it says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. But there was a problem, because Abraham's wife was unable to have children. And when you're 85 years old, my assumption is you're not looking at starting a family. You're not thinking about, man, what's our first child's name going to be? And not only has God promised a man who's 85, he's going to have another child. His wife is incapable of having children. And a year later, a son is born. And you think, that's amazing. But after God makes this promise, Sarah says, you know, I'm barren. Which in that culture was basically saying, I'm worthless. I don't have anything to give. And God has this plan for His kingdom and His world, and I can't do it. 
So here's what we're going to do. You're going to go sleep with Hagar, our servant. And you're going to have a child through Hagar. And Abraham is 86 years old when Hagar gives birth to Ishmael. And it causes so much friction. As you can imagine, it causes so much friction because Sarah is furious about the situation. She's mad at Abraham. She's mad at Hagar. She's mad at Ishmael. I'm guessing she's mad at herself. And she treats Hagar terribly. And Hagar runs off. She flees. And an angel comes to Hagar and says, no, you're going to go back and you're going to live with Sarah and Abraham. And you're going to name this child Ishmael. And Ishmael means in Hebrew, God hears. Because I've heard your cry. I've heard your pain. But you're going to go back and I'm going to be with you. So Ishmael is born. And at age 99, God once again says to Abraham, you're going to have a kid. And you're going to have a child, not with Hagar, not with another woman, but with Sarah, who's barren, who's incapable of having children, who in that culture is worthless because she had nothing left to give. And at age 100, Isaac is born. I don't know about you, but when we talk about being patient and waiting on God, I get a little impatient after a couple of days. I get really impatient after a month. But I can't imagine feeling like 25 years has passed before God finally came through on His promise. I can't imagine waiting 25 years and still trusting and having the faith that God is going to come through. See, Sarah, in her mind, tells Abraham, I want you to go and have a child with Hagar because in her mind, she had nothing to give. She was worthless to God's plan. See, the story of Abraham and Sarah and Hagar is ultimately the story about trust. It's a story about trust or a lack of trust in God's plan, purpose, and timing. And I think for us, we trust or we fail to trust 
when we change job descriptions with God. Because I think His job description says you're going to plan and orchestrate every person, every step throughout the history of creation. You're going to walk this road in faith. That's your job. To have faith and to trust. It's His. But Abraham and Sarah get to this point after the promise is made where we don't see it. This is not how I imagined it. And Abraham asks, makes a really audacious request of God. After Ishmael is born, after the conflict starts, before Isaac is even a glean in his mother's eye, Abraham says, God, will you please bless, bless Ishmael? Will you please bless my son? And I think God's response is so powerful. He tells him he's going to have another son. And this son, this son Ishmael, is not the child I promised. This child Ishmael was you not trusting my promise. And saying, God, I don't see a way that this could possibly work, so we're going to make it work for you. God, I don't see how I'm 85, 95. I don't see how my wife at 85 or 90 can have a child. She's barren. It hasn't happened yet. There's no possibility it's going to happen now. Ishmael was made from your strength, not from mine. Ishmael was not my plan. Ishmael was your plan. And if only you would have the faith to trust me, then I would take care of it. The problem, the problem is we see impossibility where God sees endless possibility. And it scares us away from choosing faith. We see impossibility. There's no way I'm 85 My wife is barren. There's no way. And where we see this impossibility, God says there's nothing that's too big. There's nothing I cannot do. And you with Sarah are going to have a child. All right, it's my job to orchestrate in a range human history and to work all things for good. It's yours to have faith and follow. It's yours to trust me. So verse 23 says this, His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman 
was born as a result of a divine promise, right? Law, promise. These things are being taken figuratively. Make sure we remember that, right? The woman represent the women represent two covenants. One covenant from Mount Sinai, which was the law, and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. So, I I think it's one of those things that as you're reading along, it's like, wait, what? what? What was that? So, Sarah and Hagar... The slave in this example, right? This is an allegory. This is figurative, as Paul says. The slave is Hagar. The free is Sarah. Now, so Hagar. Hagar um, was, gave birth to a son out of sarx. That's the, Hebrew, or the Greek word for flesh. Was born out of the flesh. Was born because of your reliance on yourself. Right? God's plan's not possible. This is not going to work. We'll take matters into our own hands and we'll make it work. God, we'll take care of your plan because obviously you can't do it for us. And the result of that is like Sinai where they were given this law and the law was about your power and your ability. Right? If you will obey everything I've commanded, then out of all the nations you will be blessed. We will do everything you said. Right? It was about their power and their strength to perform. It was about their power and their strength to be obedient. And what does that do? It created slaves. Slaves who were bound by the law. But it wasn't that the law in Sinai made them slaves. Right? That's, that's been the point the last two, three weeks. The law simply revealed that they were slaves. Right? A law cannot make you anything. It, it's simply words. It doesn't make you good. It doesn't make you bad. It just simply reveals whether or not you're obedient to the law. Right? Just to point out again, we still have a lot of sidesteppers in here. Zero. I... I I'm sorry. I do. I don't know who. I do have one donut this morning. I was hoping for fresh, just. But we evidently still have a lot of sidesteppers, a lot of transgressors. It just reveals that they're slaves. So this was Hagar, this was Ishmael the son that came from the slave. And then there's the free woman, Sarah. Sarah gives birth to a son, and it's quite obvious it's from Numa, the spirit. Um, and this son was based on trust. Right? At age 95, age 100, you're sitting here like, there's no way God can do this, but we're still going to believe this child 
Isaac comes out of trust. And this child is represent, representative of the promise. Right? Because the promise wasn't based on you and your ability to get it done. It was based on God and God's strength to make sure it got done. And it was about New Zion, the promise that God was going to bless the world through us. New Jerusalem. Not the physical Jerusalem that was there that was decaying like the rest of creation, but this new promised reality where God is king and we are under His rule and reign. And that brings freedom. And it brings hope. And then he makes this another weird transition, it seems like, where again you're kind of like, wait, wait, what? He quotes from the book of Isaiah in chapter 54. Sing, barren women, you who never bore a child. Burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labor. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. And again, you just kind of read this and it's like, wait, what? Where, where, seeing, O barren women, you who have never borne a child, what was Sarah? Barren. Worthless. And in the end, Sarah has a son named Isaac. But this one who was unable to conceive was going to be the mother of a nation. Because when God comes and says, you're going to be a great nation, our assumption we better go get busy. <laughs> Literally, we got a lot of work to do if we're going to have a lot of kids. And what Isaiah says is no rejoice because this is so much bigger than you. This, in fact, this is not about you. You're just a vessel, you're just a tool. This morning when David Litton came in to pray for me, he asked how he could pray, and I just said, man, I want to do such a good job. This is kind of complex. I really want to explain it well. Sorry if it takes a little longer this morning. This is kind of tough. Um, but I said, I want to do such a good job. And it hit me. Oh, wait. For some reason, it's back to me again and what I can do. about my ability. And here's the thing. I'm not, a, I'm not a great talker. I'm not a great teacher. It's just simply, God, will you please do something powerful through this? Because I think we can all relate to it. Right? Because Sarah gets to this point where she's like, I don't, I don't see any possible way that this could work. I don't have anything in here that I can give to God's plan. There's nothing within me that can contribute. And God says, just wait. Wait, I want you to see 
what I can do when you don't have anything to give. You think you're useless. You think you don't have a part in the kingdom. You think you're too old. You think you have nothing to give. Just wait. That's what I'm looking for. That's what I want from you. He wants us to get to that point where it's we have nothing to give to the kingdom. Because our mindset always go, goes back to God wants from me. He wants my money. He wants my talents. He wants my leadership. He wants my wisdom. He wants my intellect. He wants my gifts to build His kingdom. And the longer I do this, I feel more and more it's God wants me empty-handed. He wants me simply, God, I, I don't have anything to give. This is just about You. And if You're going to do anything, it's because of Your strength and Your power. And it's when I try to step in the way and make it work the way I think it should, things seem to fall apart. So he says this in verse 28, now you brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of the promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. And it is the same now going on. Um, but what does Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but we're children of the free woman. God says, I'm not going to bless your plan, Ishmael. I'm going to bless my plan, Isaac. And you and I, we are children of the free woman. We are children of the promise. We are children born out of God's power. Because in Christ, this is Paul's main idea, in Christ, you were born new and free and redeemed not because of what you have done. but because of the power of God at work in this world. He has brought you life. He has brought you freedom. He has given you grace. You are children of the promise. And for Paul, you are not here because I was good and taught you. You are not good because these other people have come in and taught you. You are not our children. You are God's. And He has given immensely for you. And because of that, verse 1, he says this in chapter 5, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You have freedom in Christ. Don't go back. Trust in His promise. So, what if what God wants from you in your life today is not the intellect and the strength 
and the money and all of that that you think you have to contribute? What if what He wants is you empty-handed? God, I have nothing left to give. I have nothing to contribute. I'm here because of you. Father, we thank you so much for the grace that you give. We thank you for the inheritance that you promise. Father, the inheritance that is Christ Jesus our Lord. And we are so thankful that we are children of the promise and not children of the, of the law. Not slaves once again. But Father, we have been given freedom in Christ. Father, may we celebrate it. And may we live our life as a reflection of that grace. Not out of obligation because we have to to earn your love. But Father, because you have given your love and you have given your love to give us grace to bless this world. Father, may the world see your goodness through our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.